Welcome to the Moto Witch Chronicles episode 4. I'm your host, Koji Helmwein. Today I'm talking with designer, motorcycle builder, entrepreneur, and owner of the Vintage Monkey in Sacramento, California. Shasta Smith shares her many years of experience in not only riding motorcycles, but also in building them. She talks us through her television career, her background in interiors and architecture, and how that all led her to open an incredible classic bike repair shop, motorcycle exhibit, venue, and now a learning space for local bikers. We'll be chatting about her charitable causes, the female biking community, and being a woman in business, amongst many, many other things. Shasta Smith, welcome to the Motor Witch Chronicles. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here with us today. How are you doing today? I'm good. Awesome. Yes. (laughs) Well, I'm going to jump right in here because you've been such an inspiration to me since the moment I discovered your work. Since I started riding, I've wanted to learn more about motorcycle maintenance. And I scoured my region here in Ireland looking for just any sort of classes where I could learn just the basics. And in that search, I came across you and your shop, The Vintage Monkey, even though there's you're like thousands of miles away on a whole other continent. So obviously, I couldn't take classes at your place. (laughs) <laughs> but from what I understood, the Vintage Monkey started out as an appointment-only shop, but then things are very different now. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do and the different services that you guys have? Yeah. So originally, my my former location, I had two buildings right next to each other. One was a workshop and one was the showroom. And we used to also film television in there too, because I, I had a brief stint in television and they would follow my work. But that's not why I had that location. I started out doing restoration modifications. And so the space that I had was by appointment only. And the big push was for me to open to the public. Everybody said, we want to show up when we want to show up. Well, opening to the public is a lot more complicated than just saying, we want you to just have your doors open all the time. So I started putting together a plan to open to the public, which meant me moving to a new location. And I also had to provide services at a public location that people would, for one, that would pay the bills, and two, that people needed. And then I wanted to also incorporate what people wanted. So what people needed was service and restoration. I specialize in uh, classic and antique motorcycles specifically. Not that I don't have a love for all bikes. It, that just happens to be my shop. We do service and restoration to classic and antique motorcycles. And we do offer motorcycle technical classes once a month. But the building is actually split in two parts. I have an exhibit and event venue. And then the other side of the building is the restoration shop. My restoration shop is fascinating. It's a lot of work. I don't think it's as glamorous as people think it is. I have a 12-month waiting list for people to have their bikes worked on there. I currently have 75 motorcycles, client motorcycles in a rotation right now. We have our event venue and the event venue is where literally people come in and they have their private events there among the motorcycle exhibit that I have inside the building. My business resides in a historic brick factory building and it's amazing and I love it and it's a lot of work and I spend the majority of my hours here 
I wish at times people understood more about what I do here and what my staff does here, because it's the real world of the motorcycle industry here. And what I mean by that is I get a lot of people that come through the door and they'll say, uh, oh, Shasta, I'm surprised this place hasn't gone viral. I'm surprised that you don't have like a hundred thousand followers on Instagram or whatever it may be. And what I tell them is my business doesn't come from social media. My business comes from people who are seeking a service and they don't typically seek that service by scrolling through Instagram or scrolling through Facebook. I'm not going to say that Facebook and Instagram aren't a great media platform when we do have events here, because that allows people to know when we have big functions here. But the real working class people that have these antique and classic motorcycles that they need worked on come to us because that's what we specialize in. And we have a a solid background in that. And I am a very long-winded person. So you could ask me one question and I could answer it for the next hour. I absolutely <laughs> but, uh, love it. But in a, in a nutshell, if you will, that's the business. It's service and restoration and it's an exhibit and event venue all under one magnificent roof. Awesome. <laughs> it sounds like an absolute dream. How did you yourself get into riding motorcycles and what sparked this love of classic bikes? I started out as a teenager with a love of uh, American muscle cars, which quickly led into motorcycles. And I started riding sport bikes. I'm a big motorcycle race fan. I love motorcycle racing. I love motorcycle race bikes, modern ones, that is, which is interesting because my showroom here exhibits very classic and much older race bikes. Even though I'm a big race bike fan, I started out on sport bikes when I was 16 years old. And I became a licensed rider when I was 19. And when I was about 30 years old, I started acquiring classic motorcycles and I started doing restorations to them. And I just did it privately. I didn't think anybody had an interest in it (laughs) until friends of mine said, you have to post some photos of what you're doing, Shasta. Mind you, this was like 10 years ago. You have to post some photos of what you're doing because we want to see what you're doing. And so I started doing that and it led into a big fascination for people and which kind of leads us where where we are today, kind of that evolution. When you started to restore your first bike, did you take a class to learn how to do this? How do you figure this out? No, no, there was there was nothing like that. I, I, you know, I try to think back to how quickly the motorcycle industry has evolved. I think back to when I first started riding and I first started doing this. It was just why well, you probably did it privately. It was just kind of a therapeutic thing, it, whether or not I was doing it right. I was going to make my own mistakes on my own motorcycles. And if I was lucky, because I knew people in the industry, they would help coach me through it. And that was even a complicated process because it's like we're so flooded with stuff on the internet right now. We're so flooded what's in social media that we it is much easier to make something look beautiful in photo, but does it actually run and, and work properly? I would guarantee probably 85% of the time, no. Because who cares when you can just look at images of things that are beautiful? So to answer that question, it was just kind of a trial and error process. And I didn't really care. I didn't care if people knew about it, but I really didn't care to show anybody, which was, which is interesting because I, I feel like part of this was almost you're thrusted into the media, which you learn things much quicker. I've had time to learn through the process. You know, I wasn't a classically trained mechanic, which 
I can actually say that the majority of people aren't when it comes to classic motorcycles. Someone has shown them, someone, you know, someone who has an expertise in it. I'm very fortunate now to have put together a group here. We're a small group here, but we're a group that knows these machines very well. And we work on some very rare machines too here. And a lot of the machines that we work on here are a result of people messing up their own bikes through through that process. They'll say they have made it beautiful. They've tried to work on it themselves and they have caused extensive damage to their, their motorcycles. We're the less glamorous side of it. You know, it's fascinating. It's frustrating. It's a lot of work. And I don't think people realize that they'll come into the shop and they'll say, oh, wow, look at all these bikes on display. You know, wow, you have a lot of bikes here. Is this your collection? And I'll say, no, these are all my customer motorcycles. And, you know, we, we do it full time. We're here five days a week. We're here a minimum of eight hours a day, five days a week doing this. It never stops. And I am doing some things now that will have an impact on how Vintage Monkey evolves just even over the next 12 months to try to control the types of bikes that come through here, the number of bikes that come through here. We're one of the few people in the country that exclusively handle the service and restoration of classic motorcycles, which is kind of fascinating to think about because vintage bikes are kind of, they're so, they're a very cool thing right now. You know, they're kind of the end, the end thing, but there's not that many qualified service shops that handle them. It's usually someone out of their own garage or a friend or a friend of a friend says, hey, I can work on that for you. But classic motorcycles are very much like a an aging human being. They come with problems. And then when you fix that one problem, it comes with another problem and, and so on and so forth. And it's a constant maintenance. You know, the average age of the motorcycle that we work on here, the average age is about 50 years old. And people will come in, they'll say, well, what do you deem a classic? And I'll say, well, if it starts out in the, from the 70s and older, those are typically the bikes that we work on here. So wow. and not, not, not so much domestic bikes either. <laughs> Domestic being our the Harley Davidsons and things like that. So they'd most be European and British bikes and things like that? Yeah. The majority of them are European and Japanese classics. Wow. And then we have a sprinkling of them from other countries. And do you yourself still work on the bikes in the shop since that's how you started out? Or are you still just are you just running the business? That is a really good question. So this is very typical when people open up their own businesses. You suddenly don't do what you used to. I, I tell everyone, when they say, what do you do here, Shasta? I say, I'm the CEO of writing checks. <laughs> I am the CEO of paying bills. I am the CEO of payroll. Um, and you suddenly get reduced to changing the toilet paper rolls in the bathroom. And you resort back to the old days of mopping the shop and, and doing things of that nature. What I do is I, this has a lot to do with the number of motorcycles that are in this shop. It is such a coordinated effort back there in the shop that when you have 70 to 75 motorcycles in a rotation and there's paperwork involved and there's a lot of logistics and how it's done for me to work in the shop for say five hours out of the day and then suddenly go back there and try to help out. I hear the same thing over and over. It's like, don't touch anything back here, Shasta. <laughs> <laughs> and and you know what it's it's okay it's okay we typically do we try to do a charity bike every year so i can get that out of my system doing that i'm not at all offended that i'm not back there 
I mean, I, I take a step back and I look at something that I've created and say, you know what? Sometimes when you're trying to achieve that that goal and that dream, sometimes you have to sacrifice a little something to make that happen. And if it means that I'm not back there wrenching, it's actually okay because I can continue to cultivate my relationships with my customers. I can continue to c- cultivate relationships with my community. And then every event that comes through here, everybody knows that Shasta will have her hands in this in some capacity. So in the big picture, I'm actually quite lucky to come to work and be surrounded by a hundred motorcycles. It's just as gratifying. And anybody who says anything otherwise can't hold a candle to it because either I just have a workshop and just a service center or do what I do, which is when I did my public expansion, I wanted what people need and what people want. And so I have to be able to work in the entire building as a whole, handling those different aspects of the business. Some of it's quite complicated, so it doesn't allow me to be back there just turning a wrench. And like I said, quite honestly, they don't want me back there because (laughs) if I come back there and I start meddling around, it'll just be like, no, get out of the way. Because they have an organized system back there and it's in place for a reason. You know, we we take what we do really seriously. So (laughs) let's take it back to the charity bikes for a second. So you used to build the bikes. How many charity bikes have you made? We try to do one a year, but it's difficult because an average build doesn't take one year. An average build is to start from the ground up. A proper one takes two years to do. And because you're doing it after hours, you're doing it in your spare time. And if you're lucky, you might get also get a volunteer to work on it with you. There's a lot of lot of moving parts in that. I was not able to do one this year, but for the past three years, I've been able to do them consistently. But this year, just it's so complicated on how much work we have in the building right now that I was told that Shasta, if you try to attempt a charity bike this year, that I was going to get in big trouble because everybody's too exhausted. And it's not that charitable spirit isn't there, but anybody who's done it knows how exhausting it is to try to do it all, (laughs) if you know what I mean. In talking about charity, you hosted the Sacramento DGR last year, right? Are you going to do that again this year? I do. I was one of the, uh, I was chosen as a global ambassador by DGR last year, and I will continue to do my part. One half of the duo from Australia, from Sydney, came to visit last year, which was really nice. So in that, I guess it was September of last year, what I do is I donate my building for the day and we host the after party. And what that means is everything that's purchased during the after party goes to the the gentleman's fund. And that in itself is a lot of work. It involves a lot of volunteers. And it was wildly successful last year, which was fantastic. So we'll do that again this year. And uh, we always say all the drinks, all the food and everything that's involved, um, all that money goes to the DGR um, for that day. It's a it's a lot of fun and it's a lot of work, but that's one of our big donations for the year. That's um, awesome. I, I always try to do, I was, yeah, it was wildly successful last year. So I know that people will anticipate it again this year. I think we had about 300, some people say 400, but I wouldn't, I want to say conservatively about 300 people came through for the after party. Wow. So it was bas- basically what, when the, the ride is finished, everyone came over. And do you know how many were in the ride? I think that, I think that there was just under 
200 for the ride. So we actually had more here for the after party because the after party was open to people who aren't writers Mm -hmm. also. So they had an opportunity to participate in being a part of it, even if they may not ride a motorcycle. So that was really nice. That's awesome. What is the biking community in Sacramento like? Is it a large one? Even though we're the capital of California, we're not a huge city. And the motorcycle community here is a a bit divided, if you will. And I would imagine it's like that in a lot of places in the United States. We have people that specifically love their classic motorcycles. And then we have the people that love their Harley Davidsons specifically, and then the sport bike community. There's a lot of riders here, but they're very divided in how they ride, you know, in the city, which is pretty typical. The nice thing about having our place here is it's more nostalgic and kind of a walk down memory lane for people. So there's something for everyone when they stop by the shop here. But I would say it's a very active riding community. It's definitely divided by people's interests, which is pretty typical of any type of hobby or pastime. Are there a lot of female motorcyclists out there? Yes and no. Our statistics here in the United States in general are quite low. I know that, and this is where I think a lot of the social media comes into play, where it makes it, I think it makes it appear that the female writing community is massive, but I believe if the statistics, the last time I read is women only make up 14% of the overall motorcycle riders here in the United States. That's very small. There are a few motorcycle riding groups here in Sacramento that are female specific and the groups are small. You know, when I first started riding and even when I ride now, it's still something you don't see that often is women on motorcycles. And then the riding groups that are female specific, there's not a lot of girls in the group, which is okay. It's actually very difficult for me because as a sole female owner of a motorcycle business, you would think I would see more of it. But I would say 1% of the people that walk through my door are female. Wow. That's tiny. Yeah. Yeah. Right now I have out of all the motorcycles that I have in the service shop, two of those motorcycles belong to females. Wow. Two. I wish I could explain why. I don't have the answer for it. I, I just don't know. I wonder, do women out there just not ride the classic bikes that you're working on? or uh, Even if it's because our service shop is just one part of the business, even if females were to come here just to walk through the door and go through the exhibit, right. still 1% of the people uh-huh. that walk through the door. I really thought it would be different when I opened to public. I thought, oh, wow, this is, it's going to be such a boost for women, you know, and women riders or women who are just curious about motorcycles and things like that. I hired a female mechanic. So I have one of my mechanics is female. And I thought that 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 would maybe be a more of an encouragement to see two sides of the entity there. But no. I I, I just wish I had, you know, and it's different because when you go to say a motorcycle show where they're showing all different bikes on display, there's always a lot of women that show up to those. But when we get down to the nitty gritty and the real workings of motorcycle, the motorcycle industry and the motorcycle business, I don't understand it. It kind of made me sad in the beginning, but now I just, I really don't think much of it because I work day to day here, but I wish I had some answers because that's a, that's a common question that's asked um, of me. 
right. So, yeah, I've noticed from going to a lot of bike shows myself that a lot of the builders aren't even female, and a lot of the women that do attend aren't even riders, which is a pity in itself. I wish I had some answers to that. And people have made comments to me where they'll say, oh, you own this business. It's so badass. And you probably experienced this. and You probably experienced that. And I'm like, I, I really don't, don't have answers to that demographic, which I should, but I just don't know because, <laughs> yeah. because all I have to judge it off of is the people that come through my door. Yeah, your own experience on the phone. Yeah. And I've done interviews that ask that same question over and over. And they're always shocked by my answer, you know, and then they'll say, Oh, Shasta, maybe you need to lead a, a female writing group, you know, or maybe you should do this, or you should have a show at your shop, because I definitely have the space to have a, you know, a motorcycle show here, or you should offer classes specifically for women. Right. And I always tell people, I don't want to do that. I don't want it to be female specific, because I want there to be a mixed group of people. I actually don't like the idea of singling out just women for a women's group. Mm -hmm. And people may frown on that and whatnot. But, you know, when I started out, it was all men and I would show my motorcycles at motorcycle shows. And when I went places, there were very few women and it didn't bother me. It didn't bother me at all because I, I know that I know that there's so few women that ride and, and so few women that are into it. So what my goal was with this shop was when people walk through the door, that even if you weren't a rider, let's say you were you're a woman, you do not ride a motorcycle. The moment you walk through my shop, you feel comfortable being here because there is a very juxtaposition on how this place is quote decorated. And I am finding that more and more just by the events that people book here. The majority of the people that book events here are not motorcycle riders and the majority of them are women. Can I explain that? That must I be a true no testament idea. to your, because your background is in interiors, right? In design. Yeah. My degree is I'm a certified interior architect with the state of California. And I've done that for 18 years. And of course, my full-time job is here. But I wanted to create an environment that felt, I wanted it to be kind of edgy and rock star, but where women felt very comfortable being here. So if I can say that that's really the opposite side of it is, you know, maybe I don't get a lot of female riders through the door and a lot of female service customers, but I sure as heck get a lot of female non-riders that book their events here whether it's, you know, the Saturday, there's going to be a wedding here and they're not motorcycle people. And it's going to be a beautiful wedding here. That's very typical of Vintage Monkey. It's so strange to say that out loud, but that's it's the pretty unique. I live in right yeah, now. It's, it's pretty unique. You're, you're giving people a nice, beautiful introduction into the motorcycle world, whether they ride or not. And I think that's fantastic. I've yeah, seen, and, and I've seen um, the photos of your shop. They look, the place looks absolutely stunning. And those aren't professional photos either. Those are just real living, you know, breathing photos. And, and they're very, all the photos are very truthful photos, if you mm -hmm. will. So saying that out loud is kind of a revelation here is talking about, you know, the females that do come through the door. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's so interesting, but you know, I'll take it. I'll take whatever mm -hmm. people gravitate toward. And if, if that's what they love and that's what they're seeking, then it's extremely gratifying in that nature to have people come through the door and want to have very memorable events of their, you know, their own private events here. And they're enjoying it in this atmosphere. Let's take it back to your, your own riding experience as a woman. When you got into motorcycle riding, clearly there weren't a lot of women riding at the time and there's more now, but have you ever had no. 
negative experiences just for being a woman on a bike? My negative experiences as a woman writer have been very few, which is very different than being a woman business owner, which the negative experiences have been many. But as a writer, no. In my past, many of my writing experiences have been on my own. And then when I have ridden with other people, it's always been other men. I think I just carry myself differently. I I go at it as I'm just a writer and I'm out for the enjoyment of it. I have nothing to prove to anybody. So I think that removing that chip on the shoulder, if you will, just makes it a better experience. I have found a lot of women writers that I have met these days have something to prove. And I think that it's unnecessary. I think that there's a lot to prove just by being a writer and being out on the road and enjoying it speaks volumes. And I told other women writers this before, you know, some of them get very frustrated. They'll go into places and they'll say, oh, people say, oh, is that your boyfriend's bike? Does that belong to your husband or, or whatnot? And I, I get that too. And, but that rolls off my shoulders. So I don't really look at that as a negative. I just look at that as someone who doesn't have enough information. And I've done motorcycle shows and they'll say, oh, are these your boyfriend's bikes? And I'll be the only one standing there showing my motorcycles. No, they're not my boyfriend's bikes. They're mine. It doesn't bother me. Um, but for some women, it does bother them a lot. They feel like they have something to prove. I think if they find it, if they let it roll off their shoulders and know where the motorcycle world started from, that there would be less negative interaction. So my negative interaction as a female writer has been very little. It's happened. It's not much. And how about being the owner of a motorcycle shop? That's been a whole nother ball game. I have been, (laughs) I have been, uh, I have had nasty letters written to me. I've had people come to me face to face and say terrible things to my face. And it's very unwarranted. I've had people publish very nasty things about me. And it's not typically by anything I've said. When I moved my business into a different building, some of the surrounding neighbors wanted to have nothing to do with me until people start to realize that that's just a miseducation. When I opened up in my new building here, I had a go big or go home attitude, which was I was just going to go for go for gold, you know, if I and if I failed, I failed, but I was going to do it on my terms. And many people embraced me and many people stopped talking to me. Why I have no idea. I did have one individual say to me that this is something I've always wanted to do and never spoke to me again. So I think that that speaks volumes too, is there are some people, uh, about one in every 10 people that walk through my door will say, this is something I always wanted to do. This was my dream. And they'll get very mad about it. And then when they realize that there's nothing to be upset about, that they're welcome here, that our home is their home. Mm-hmm. they take it down a notch. And really at the end of the day, I have to make a living. So we do our jobs here. My employees need a paycheck and they have to do their jobs here. So what people think on the outside doesn't affect my business as far as who wants to bring their motorcycles here. And it doesn't affect my business when people want to have their events here in the exhibit space. It's not always been easy. It's been, that's a very emotional thing is when you put your heart and soul into something and someone says something very terrible to you. Like I said, it's sometimes it's very unwarranted. It'll just be very spontaneous. And I don't get it 
as often as I did say a year ago. So I think either some people have gotten it out of their system, but it's upsetting. Yeah, I, I can say I've gone home and I've cried on several occasions because you just encounter mean people. Mm-hmm. And some people might say, oh, Shasta, just tell him to go to hell. But I'm a business owner and that's not how... It's not when good you're for a business. business. Owner, no, it's not. Yeah. You have to actually, you have to be professional about it. I don't run a business that's a, a fuck you, get out of my shop type of business. I mean, not that we haven't done that with a couple people, but they, <laughs> um, but that would have been done in any type of business. You have to be very careful about how you approach things like that. And usually the best way to approach it is just to ignore it. You know, it's like that classic advice that you were given as a kid. When someone says something mean to you, you just ignore it and walk the other Mm -hmm. way. It's really something you have to do now. It's hard. It's very hard because sometimes you just want to punch people in the face. But and that, that is definitely that. not good for business. <laughs> That's not good for business. So, so I want to just yeah. take it back for a moment, back to when you started when you were 16. Do you remember yeah. that first ride by yourself on your first motorcycle? Oh, yeah. What was that it like? Was, and what was it, the bike? So my first motorcycle was a Kawasaki Ninja. Um, and nice. it was just, it was kind of like getting on a roller coaster for the first time. You're excited to do it, but you're, you have butterflies in your stomach. So that was my first experience was on a sport bike and I was so excited to do it and I was scared to death and I just told myself, I'm like, Shasta, the only way you're going to be able to do this is get on the bike and go. And that's exactly what I did. Got on the bike and I just went and it didn't stop there. I went on some of the longest rides and some of the longest trips as a quote amateur rider. And I can say that my teenage riding experiences were the best experiences riding up until this day. I look back on those experiences because you're a little more, you're a little more adventurous mm-hmm. than you would be, say, as a, a mother. I'm a mother too. So you, you, you know, once those things start to change, um, you kind of change your attitude about mm-hmm. life. Totally. Um, but I did some of my most adventurous riding, some of my most long distance rides, and some of my funnest rides with other people when I was a teenager. Now, I always say I'm lucky if I get on a motorcycle anytime soon because I'm always working. <laughs> so <laughs> I know so that that's feeling. The, another, yeah, that unglamorous side of it again that people don't realize. But the trade off is, is I have this great world that I work in. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, to me, it's a great trade-off. I'm, I may not be on a motorcycle as often anymore, but I wouldn't change it because uh, I feel like a, a lucky girl. Mm-hmm. So, awesome. <laughs> Do you have any advice for women who are toying with the idea of building their own bike or getting into wanting to maintain their bikes themselves? Do you have any advice for those women? I do. The number one piece of advice first, this is going to be sound very motherly, but it's the absolute truth is safety first. Know that what you're working on, even if you're kind of playing around with the bike, know that work, what you're working on could kill you. I've seen too many motorcycles come through the shop where they were, it, it was either moments away from going up in flames or moments away from killing someone just because they had been working on it themselves. So always remind yourself that what you're working on could be, and I I hate to say it, but could be a death trap if it's not done properly. Now, with that said, the other piece of advice is don't be influenced by media. And what I mean by that is what you're working on, you need to tell yourself and remind yourself that you're doing this for yourself. 
Because if you're doing it for other people, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage as a woman. You're trying to meet standards that either can't be met because they're superficial and unrealistic standards, or you're trying to, you're getting caught up in the social world. And when you know that you're not going to get caught up in the social world, you can have a very fulfilling hobby, but it's when you get caught up in asking the social world for their advice, or when you ask the social world for their advice, advice in the social world is an opinion and the opinion is 95% negative. It's a, it'll, they'll tear you apart. So you have to ask yourself why you're doing it first. And if you're doing it for yourself, look at those two factors. Don't be influenced by other people's opinions and make sure that you're doing it in a safe manner. You know, people might say, Hey, I'm learning by looking up videos on YouTube. It's perfectly fine to do that. Just make sure that you look at a variety of them so, until you can narrow down what is the proper way to, to work on things. But, but YouTube videos actually can be quite helpful if you find proper videos. It's a great way to kind of be in your own private world and, and kind of learn. I know not every place offers classes. It's, it's rare to run across mm -hmm. classes to go to. But if you're able to go to those classes and take down that information and know that you're going to get frustrated. You're dealing with engineering and mechanics that started in a place where these machines were built by engineers and built by master mechanics. So don't put that pressure on yourself to be a master mechanic and a master engineer. You're going to encounter problems because it's just the nature of it. You know, whether you're designing a dress or you're working on a motorcycle and you've never done either one for the first time, you're going to make mistakes. So know that you're going to make mistakes and it's okay. But I, I think the biggest issue is social media adds a little too much pressure to the mix. I, I wish that us ladies could not be so heavily influenced by social media and really do it for the love of the motorcycle. That's some great advice there. Thank you. Long-winded <laughs> Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> I'm taking all the notes. <laughs> so Shasta, where can people find you and connect with you online? Speaking of social media. Yeah. So there is a Facebook page and there is an Instagram page under The Vintage Monkey and also under my name, Shasta Smith. Those might be two key search words. And then of course, I communicate with people regularly via email um, and when they walk into the shop. So we're located we have a true brick and mortar here in Sacramento, California, and thevintagemonkey.com is our website. And it's very interactive. When people email us, we email back. <laughs> <laughs> We're real. <laughs> and then in social media, also, when people ask questions and respond in social media, we answer back. This isn't, we have nothing to hide. We're as real as it gets. Well, Shasta, thank you so much for talking with me today and for being part of the Motor yeah. Chronicles. It's been an absolute pleasure. I personally have learned so much. So I hope that anybody who's <laughs> listening has been taking notes and has learned a lot from you. Thank you very, very much. No problem. No problem. Anytime. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review and subscribe. We love hearing back from our listeners. If you'd like even more content from female bikers around the world, head on over to motowitch.com for articles written by world record holders, adventurers and new riders alike. If you're a female biker listening to this and you're thinking, I have something I'd like to share with the Moto Witch community, please get in touch with me. No matter how small or insignificant you might think your moto life is, I guarantee that it is a beautiful and wild adventure that we would love to hear and someone out there can learn from. 
Submit your story to hello at motowitch.com now. Either way, say hi over on Instagram at motowitchcollective. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you'll stick with me as I learn on the fly. Until next time, ride safe.